Hello listeners and welcome to another edition of Total Italian Football on Match Day 12. You may notice a lack of Irish tone in the voice that you're hearing because uh, we are without Connor Clancy, the regular host. You are stuck with me, uh, Kev Pogzalski. They've handed the reins over once more. Connor is uh, on Syria A Femenile uh, duties and uh, Ewan Burns has just had a bit of a jolly to to Florence and been at Fiorentina uh, versus Bologna this weekend. Um, but I do have Vito Doria. Hello, Vito, and how are you? Hello, Kev. I'm good. It's the second time it's just been us two on the pod, and I thought things actually went quite well when it was just us two. So hopefully things can go smoothly once again. I heard good things. They may well have been from Stace, but uh, I heard good things. So... Um, <laughs> Let's hope we can't uh, or we don't muck this up uh, once more. And let's say I, I said that wrong because I was trying to make a, you know, a funny joke rather than just getting my words mixed up. But, but anyway, <laughs> on, on to the football. So um, match day uh, 12, uh, I thought this was over four days. Um, so I was thinking that I had another day before I thought about player of the week and also hoping that one of the attackers in Syria did something. But anyway, the, the weekend has finished. It started on Friday night with uh, Sassuolo, uh, Salernitana. Um, Salernitana taking a two-goal lead there and then Sassuolo pulling it back through two goals from, I'm just going to assume that it's Eric Torsfeld's son or nephew or grand grandson uh, it might be a name that 90s children will remember who was a, an old Norwegian <laughs> goalkeeper um, then obviously uh, the same night Genoa you would have been over the moon that they got a 1-0 victory against uh, Verona uh, and then <laughs> on Saturday um, Milan it was their turn to uh, throw away another two goal lead uh, this time to, to Lecce who were quite unfortunate not to have taken the win there at the end which we'll get on to um, Juventus then beat Cagliari 2-1 uh, Monza finished 1-1 with Torino uh, at the end of Saturday night and then on the games today we've had um, Na- Napoli fall into a somewhat surprising 1-0 defeat to Empoli um, uh, a goalless Rome derby between Lazio and Roma Fiorentina beat Bologna 2-1 Inter went back to the top of Serie A with a 2-0 win over Frosinone which finished the weekend and uh, just before that earlier in the day uh, Udinese and Atalanta drew at the Dacia Arena. So, um, where better to start than at the top? You've just watched Inter versus Frosinone for us, Vito. Um, before you give me a, a summary of the game, um, cross or shot the DeMarco goal just before the break that gave Inter the lead? And give us a description of it for the listeners. I'm actually going to say it's a shot. Uh, so what happened was that he received a pass just inside the opposition half and he was pretty much right on the left wing and then he noticed that Turati, the Frosinone goalkeeper, was off his line so he saw that the options to send a long ball into the penalty area weren't necessarily there and considering how powerful his shot is I reckon he actually wanted to lob Turati and we ended up seeing a rather outrageous goal. I, on on reflection, haven't seen a couple of replays since. I think uh, he probably did mean it. Um, I think I was just um, because Don Hutchinson's been calling him the sort of the, the best left foot in in European football. I didn't want to believe it, but uh, like you say, he sort of 
the players running through in the centre of the pitch, um, which I think was Turam and probably Martinez, um, they were they were too far away for for him to miss hit that sort of uh, you know cross or a curled effort into sort of their path. So um, yeah, it was probably a uh, probably almost certainly a shot and arguably the best goal of the season maybe um, because I'm not sure how they're going to beat that. But how did uh, how did Inter look tonight? Obviously, it was Frosinone that. Uh, uh, comfortably mid-table, which is pretty good as a sort of newly promoted side, but uh, Inter had to get it done with uh, Juve winning last night. Definitely. It was a case of Inter doing what they needed to do. It wasn't um, a vintage Inter performance, but they still played well. They got the necessary goals, and although Frosinone did give it a good crack and they try to play some tidy football, I think Inter's class overall and the talent that they have at their disposal made the difference. There was a, there was a moment in the game where, and actually, so Chalinoglu scored uh, his 11th uh, penalty out of 11 for Inter. Um, was it the clip that I've seen circling around social media, because this is the game I've not had a chance to see yet, of that awful uh, Marcus Turam dive? Mm. Oh, I don't know if it was uh, that much of a dive. I think with um, Turam, he he was able to dribble into the box pretty well, and uh, Ilario Monterizzi really had um, yeah didn't wasn't able to contain him properly. So yeah, I think unfortunately with the Italian game, it's just you know those marginal calls. You know, it's uh, easy you know for the ref to sort of call a penalty. My my issue with it is that. Um... It felt like he started wriggling away from players and then almost wriggling towards players and sort of shuffling his feet so so closely together so he could get himself in a position where he could then he sort of left his he left his right foot in where the defender's leg was or yeah. foot as they were making the challenge and then sort of threw back his left leg and sort of then just sort of just just timbered to the ground you know just sort of supporting his foot yeah. and it, it it looked it looked quite harsh uh, on the Frosinone defender and um if i was refing i would probably have pulled him up for that and not not given the uh not given the, the penalty um but did they look as though that sort of knocked the stuffing out of Frosinone because it was quite early in the second half was it not or was it towards the end of the first no, it was early in the second half, but uh, I wouldn't really say really knocked the stuffing out of Frosinone. I think Frosinone pretty much just stuck to the whole game for the whole 90 minutes. And unfortunately, against a team of Inter's quality, I just think that um, they really didn't have uh, enough quality chances to really generate, to really put Soma in goal and the rest of the Inter defence under pressure. Their best chance of the game came late in the first half when... Soler was, you could not necessarily clean through, but he was in a good enough position. And it was probably the rare mistake that Federico Di Marco made in that game because he let Soler to beat him. But uh, they were able to block his effort, and that was pretty much about it from a Canarini perspective. Yeah, because this is the thing it's like Juve have. They're sort of getting this name for being very, very solid at the back, and they they had lots of. Um, Clean sheets and things. We'll get onto that in a mo. But Inter now have got the best record, best defensive record in the league. Uh, it feels like that that somewhat goes 
sort of understated because they're scoring so many goals and Martinez has sort of really hit his form this season. And and I think if they do get ahead like they have in this game, I just feel like that, you know, if they get two goals ahead, you can see how sort of sides just, particularly sides of um, limited quality or limited resources, if we if we be a bit politer on Fosanone, we'll just sort of view it as a kind of that's game over, get out of the way, Take take the loss at the Miazza and then just sort of head into the international break and regroup for the for the for the next game they've got. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. In regards to Inter's defence, uh, I think it shows once again that you know the players that play for Inter, the Simone and Zaghi, they know how to buy into his ideas. So this time we have Bastoni, Acerbi, and Darmian in defence, and they head out pretty well. With uh, Pavar injured and Stefan De Vrij didn't play either, uh, I think it's also it's also good that when you don't have your best defenders available, that other players can step in and perform a role for them. And that sort of consistency, I think, is very important for the Nerazzurri. And also, get that extra protection helps because, as you've said, Inter scoring a lot of goals, especially Lautaro Martinez. So when you have that scoring prowess and you've got that protection at the back, it's a very good balance. And I think that's what's really needed. And as you said, we'll get on to the Juventus game shortly, but I think Inter's approach is more balanced, whereas although Juve were more expansive in the earlier rounds, they've sort of just uh, resorted to their old methods in recent weeks. So I think that focus on defense suits Juve, but... I believe that the more balanced approach of Inter might actually be beneficial in the long run. Yeah, so let's get on to let's get on to Juve. I uh, I offered uh, to love, cover this game for Total Hoyfen Italian Football, and uh, it was it was not easy on the eye, uh, as Inter quite often haven't been at times this season. Um, and both goals were, were were eventually scored by defenders. Which uh, showed a little bit of the uh, difficulties that Inter had an attack, and uh, sorry, Juventus had an attack, and uh, they just didn't look at it for a long time. It, you know, I think Cagliari would have been over the moon that they went in uh, at halftime nil nil, but then sort of they defended awfully for Bremer to score the first goal, and then Regani assigned kind of bundle one in. They got a late consolation through uh, Alberto Desena, but. A win's a win. They're uh, two points behind Inter. Um, they, you know, they've, although they conceded that goal, they sort of they were looking sound at the back. And with Milan and Napoli also dropping points this weekend, it feels like uh, as they head into the Derby d'Italia, which is the next game for both sides uh, after the international break, um, it feels like a little bit of a two-horse uh, race is developing for the Scudetto. And what do you think? That was one something that I sort of. Um, suggested in my free takeaways after the game um, well I think that's yeah really crucial that they got the win and also that for for Juventus to get the win and thanks to two defenders no less I think that's also the shows the importance of having contributors from other parts of the pitch both Bremer and Rugani being defenders finding that scoring touch whereas one of the regular forwards, Federico Chiesa, squandered a few opportunities. So um, I think leading up to the Derby d'Italia, the, it's good for them that they have those options. And 
I think that might make things a bit harder for for Simone Inzaghi to try and counter what uh, Max Allegri does from a tactical perspective. So it, it did um, it did look a little concerning with um, the two defenders scoring here. Uh, it was Locatelli when they beat Milan, who had to get the goal. We've had Cambiasso, I think, in the game before that, scoring the goal. I think when I look back um, through their fixtures, it it was it was some. It was, I think it was at the start of this sort of little run they've had, where they hadn't conceded in six games. Where it was the last time, sort of one of their recognised strikers, Milik, had scored. Now Vlaovic has been out, but. Vlaovic was back for this game. He had a decent record against um, Cagliari. He scored five goals in his sort of his career, which is, is relatively short lived in Italy. So it's not a, it's not a bad record. Yet Allegri persisted with Moise Keane or Ken or however we're calling it, uh, playing as a central striker. Persisted with him for sixty six minutes. Um, you know, so he they they did score while he was on the pitch, but he was you know he was he was hoiked off sort of six min six minutes after. And it just baffles me that he's he's he started all of sort of these games since October. He's been Juventus's central striker. And what are your thoughts on 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 Allegri's choice of him? Certainly for this game, when you know he could have tested getting Vlahovic and Chiesa sort of in a bit more of a, a flow together. I think at the moment that. For some reason, Dusan Vlaovic is still not 100% fit. And I think when Juve played the best football early in the season, they were doing well because Vlaovic and Chiesa were at full fitness. I think when one of them is not 100% fit, they don't have the same impact for some reason. As for Moise Ken, I think that he does put in some... Good efforts. He works hard and he can show on the ball that he can beat a man, he's strong and you know he can pass the ball well enough. However, his scoring touch has been missing and unfortunately his confidence took a bit of a, a dent when he had two goals disallowed against Verona. But I think with Moise uh, Ken, he'll, he'll play as long as one of the other players is not fully fit. So I reckon with Lovic and Kiesa, once they reach full match fitness, they'll be leading the Juve attack again. And I think that's when Juve will be less pragmatic and be a bit more open like they were prior to that 4-2 defeat to Sassuolo a few weeks back. Yeah, well, he's not scored at all in Serie A yet this season, Ken. And he seems all all effort, no output at times. Um and I, I, I just wonder, he's sort of 23 years old, and I just wonder sort of what, what sort of career he could have. And, you know, everybody knows I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan, but it, it feels a little bit, although I'd argue Ken's goal-scoring output is probably a little bit better, I haven't looked at the numbers. It feels a little bit that he can have, he's going to have this sort of, this almost Divock Origi type career where he'll be constantly on the sort of edges of the team and he'll come in and he'll he'll fill in a gap and he might get the odd important goal but never be an important goal scorer for them if that makes sense but you know we'll see he's 23 he's very young um plenty plenty of time on his side to to sort of get himself um fully established with Juventus I suppose or you know one of the other big clubs in Italy or elsewhere he did quite well at PSG I remember um 
which is something that Origi never did. And Origi certainly didn't do it at uh, AC Milan before being shipped off to Nottingham Forest. So uh, there you go. So um, without even realising it, I've moved us on to AC Milan veto. Um, Great win, midweek. Um, PSG. And then they come into Syria where they're already chasing the tail of Inter. And they're now uh, without a winning four domestic games. And they go and throw away this two-goal lead against Lecce, who scored sort of two goals in four minutes. Um, not late in a game, admittedly. But um, then, yeah, well, let, let's... yeah. Your thoughts on that first before we get on to Giroud and whether the, the late, what would have been winner for Lecce should have been disallowed. So your thoughts on, on, on just Milan's struggles at the moment and going from that PSG win to this... Sort of some semi-disastrous result in uh, at Lecce. Uh, it's definitely a contrasting results. Uh, I had covered the game for the Total Italian Football website midweek, and just the way Milan played in that game, they were just well organised at the back. They limited the space for PSG, and they were fantastic on the counter, especially in the first half. Uh, once they took the two-one lead, they were happy to sit back and launch the odd counter, but they were tactically disciplined and when they did have the ball, they were usually pretty good. However, in this game, you could argue that it was a little bit of complacency to uh, concede that two-goal lead, but I think it also shows that the injuries are starting to really pile up at Milan and I also think that with Pioli, he's really lost for ideas now that he's got all these players on the sidelines and he's trying to work out with um, what's there at the moment. Now, just before we go on to the other points, but just because you mentioned the injuries, that's that 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 is true in an attacking sense. And I know Kalulu is now out for a few months with the thigh injuries got. But when Milan get two new ahead, their back five, if we're including Mike Mannion in goal, was still Calabria. Chiao, Tamori, and Hernandez. Now that is their and that is their first choice defensive five. It, or you know you could maybe argue that Chiao would be replaced by somebody else. And they were also playing Krunic and Reinders that can play in that sort of shielding role, which I don't think then you can use like the injuries as an excuse for throwing away a two goal lead. Yes, the lack of creativity going forward because you've got attacking players out, but getting a two-goal lead and then sort of still with that quality of player on the pitch throwing away uh, the, the game really has got to be, yeah. Who are we looking at? Are we looking at the players individually, collectively, or are we looking at Pioli for for, for whatever message he's given out there? You know, it, the, the fact that they've got these injuries and it's not, um, you know, let's keep this, you know, let's be a little bit pragmatic. We're going to have a lot of games. There is an international break coming up, admittedly, but we've got a lot of games to get through in this sort of Champions League group stage period when you're playing sort of every three days. I would attribute it to Pioli, although you could argue about the individual errors and so forth. Uh, I do think that Pioli, maybe his message is becoming a bit rusty after nearly four years at the club. And although some of those players haven't been there for the whole four years, um, perhaps that Pioli's message is just in general getting a bit stale. 
I do feel that kind of game where you are losing all those uh, attacking weapons because of injuries, um, Milan needed to sit back and just tighten things up. And unfortunately for them, uh, Nicola Sansone came on and uh, turned the game around in Lecce's favour. And uh, also with the goal that Roberto Piccoli had go had disallowed, I think uh, that was a bit disappointing from a Lecce perspective because it was a lovely goal. And to be honest, the way Lecce turned that game around, I think they actually deserved to take the win. So yeah, so... Uh, let's get on to that before the Giroud sending off, because I think the Giroud sending off are just, wow, what, seconds before Lecce um, scored a third, which was eventually disallowed, um, got sent off. Why was it disallowed is probably the, the, just the, the question. I, there was grappling between the two players, but nothing more than what you see happening every second of the game. And not that I want to sort of spark conspiracy theorists into life, but it feels like the referee still had in the back of his mind, I said I wasn't going to include the Giroud piece in this, but actually maybe the, the, the referee still had in the back of his mind that he'd just penalised Milan with the with the red card and that he he, he kind of had to give a foul their way. It, it, it's just, it just looked a bizarre decision at the time. I do feel that this particular ref, Rosario Abisso, is too reliant on VAR, and he seems very scared to make his own decisions. I think after the Giroud sending off, he should have just stood his ground and not let that decision affect his um, thoughts in regards to the Piccoli strike. For that particular moment, though, um, there was a bit of a battle between um, Chio and Piccoli, and supposedly there might have been like a foot stomp, but... I think with the replays I've saw, it looked rather inconclusive. If anything, I think uh, Chior was just uh, milking the, you know, the tugging for what it was worth. And um, he was easy to go to ground. And I think that was a shame on Piccoli, not only because it was a great strike, but I don't think Piccoli was uh, acting really aggressively or thuggishly towards him. Yeah, I think there's a very big jump between uh, a stamp and what is effectively just uh, treading on somebody's toes. You know, you can have that contact there. And boots are very thin these days, but I think um, Chow sort of milked the uh, milked the reaction he gave to the referee, I think, to try and attempt to get that, well, and successfully get that, get that foul. Um, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh on uh, the ref having the sort of Giroud instant still in his mind. I think sometimes you look at, you look at a lot of, well, any of the major leagues in Europe and when the bigger clubs are playing I think the the referees are particularly maybe now in the age of social media uh, a little bit more conscious of the, the backlash um, they'll get when they sort of you know, give a give a, a decision against one of the bigger clubs um, it, it's one of those where I think it, it might have gone Lecce's way because they're at home but in you know at the end it didn't um, Milan got the foul and um, yeah, Lecce um, sort of missed out really, which was a which was a bit of a shame because um, they deserved it on how they fought back against um, uh, the Rossoneri. Uh, but let's leave Milan there, Vito. Um, they will or will not be back um, in the title race. They've got six points to make up on Juve. But... Our reigning champions, uh, Napoli, they are now 10 points off of Inter, 
which feels like an insurmountable lead to be able to pull back across the season, particularly how they're playing. Um, I said briefly in something I wrote this weekend that it was it was probably um, very, very difficult for Napoli to replicate the sort of form that they started the season with last year, um, regardless of sort of keeping Kravitschelio and I know Osman's out at the moment, but they kept hold of him and a lot of the rest of the players. But... Uh, this defeat to Empley will hurt. Um, although they struggled at times uh, to sort of build any attacking momentum, apart from sort of there was a spell where Kravatschelia sort of seems to create and finish most of their chances, but uh, was thwarted by the Empley goalkeeper. Yeah, um, Etri Perisha, he had a great game for Empley, and despite the onslaught from Napoli, the Partenope could not find a breakthrough. Towards the end, uh, Quaritelia had that chance where he just controlled the ball and then on the second touch he was able to take the shot, but it just went to Barisha directly and uh, that was their chance wasted. And then at the end of it, Viktor Kovalenko scored with that crazy strike. It's a lovely strike. The way he sort of arched around into the side netting was, um, was really beautiful and yeah. Timing as well, because uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna score a winner away to the champions, um, went better to do it in the ninety, uh, I think ninety fourth minute. It was certainly in injury time, wasn't it? Or maybe it was eighty fourth. Now, no, uh, no, it was in uh, injury time. Oh, good. I was second guessing myself there for a moment, <laughs> um, and piling the pressure on Rudy Garcia, Vito. So, will he still be in charge when we get back from the international break? Do you think? No, there already are reports suggesting that he'll be out the door and by the time our listeners start listening to this, he'll probably be sacked by then. At this stage, it's just a matter of the Napoli president Aurelio De Laurentiis just trying to find a replacement. And according to some reports, uh, Igor Tudor seems to be the favourite to replace Garcia. And uh, there might even be a return for Walter Mazzari, so... It's a case of watch this space. Walter Mazzari is the one that, you know, just blows my mind, really. It feels like he's been out of the, the game for ages. And actually, before we came on air, uh, we did a little bit of digging and realised that he actually was at uh, Cagliari uh, the year that they got relegated. Um, which I don't know, not not always the best sign if you're uh, if you're looking to maintain your, at least your place in the Champions League qualification places. Um However, it does feel that if Napoli are going to change their coach, the international break would be a good time to do it. And again, I might be um, basing this on no um, no research whatsoever, but it feels like Napoli are one of the bigger sides in Italy that don't have a lot of players disappearing for international duty. So if you get a manager in sort of in the next couple of days, you'll have a little bit of time to work with them as well. Um, and I wonder how much the players' influence over the future of Rudy Garcia because, let's face it, De Laurentiis usually does whatever he likes, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He's a very strong character, De Laurentiis. <laughs> so if he, if he has Sorry, a... Listen. Nah, it's all right. If he has a strong belief in what he needs to do, he'll, he'll take the decision. He's not going to uh, hesitate. If anything, it was more to other directors. They were a bit reluctant to... Sat Garcia before, well, before the previous international break. Uh, this time, though, I think, you know, it's um, 
too late for Garcia to really prove himself. He's already um, brought on some very disappointing results. And um, personally, I really hope that they go for Igor Tudor because although he will change the formation, I still think he's an up-and-coming manager. I think he's proactive in his approach and he'll improve the players. Uh, Matsadi would just be a choice for, you know, a safe option only because of his Serie A experience. But I think the game's passed him by. He's quite regressive in his tactics now. And aside from being a throwback to another era, I just think he'd just be a, a quick fix. Uh, I don't think it's the time for the nostalgia because what he did with Napoli over 10 years ago was great for that time. But I think his methods are out of place now. So hopefully if De Laurentiis is sacking Garcia, he needs to bring in Tudor who can actually build something, even if it means tweaking with the squad and the tactics. Yeah, you think it was it was 10 years ago when he was last sort of considered a uh, an elite Serie A coach when Inter brought him in to sort of spearhead their title challenge and sort of since then Mazzari's had sort of relegation threatened postings if you like at Watford, Torino and and Cagliari. And it it almost feels that if we were if we were heading into the sort of the last four or five weeks of the season and Napoli had blown their chances of say European football and were just sort of floating around eighth or ninth, that's Ari be a coach in, you know, to come in and just sort of just guide them through to the end of the season, but maybe not take over the, the year after. And it's just a it's just a strange one. But um I don't I, I don't think Garcia's gonna be there much longer. Um even with the caveat of like this time last year. Well, I think they didn't lose. They they lost their first game, I think, on on match day sixteen. Napoli. They've already lost three games this this year. And the way Inter and Juve are performing at the moment, you just can't afford to to lose that many games if you're not you're not winning others. You know they've they've drawn three as well. So um, watch this space, everybody, uh, and uh, we'll see what happens with Napoli in the next couple of weeks. A little uh, further up the peninsula. Uh, we had the Rome Derby. It finished goalless. Um, shameless plug alert. It finished goalless when I first covered it for my book, Divided Cities. Uh, let's hope whoever's editing this out of Connor and you and don't cut that out. Um, I don't know how much you saw of this, Vito. I caught the highlights. It seemed like Lazio had the better of the, the game after Roma had had an early goal from Karlsdorp uh, ruled out. And uh, I think the, uh, the, the wing-back, full-back whatever we're going to categorise him as, uh, flash one over the bar. But after that, uh, Luis Alberto had a wonderful strike, cannon off the post, which I would have loved to have seen gone. And it was it was a strike almost worthy of winning any Rome derby. Um, but a, a, a little flat in the capital. It was a disappointing game. And although a derby della capitale usually has a energetic atmosphere sadly the football on the pitch was not reflective of that uh, Lazio probably were the better side on the day and they didn't have many clear chances but Roma after losing 2-0 to Slavia Prague uh, midweek in the Europa League again they produced another disappointing performance and again it's a case of with Mourinho even if he doesn't get sacked in the near future, you just think that he probably won't love, he probably won't be coaching Roma beyond the end of uh, this season because they just have too many inconsistency issues. 
Pardon me. No, I think he wanted the perfect ending last year with a European trophy and he may have walked them. Um, don't see Mourinho renewing his contract when it comes to an end this year. And um, I'm now just off the top of my head now, I'm thinking we've got a Euros. Uh, not sure what the situation with, is with the Portuguese national side, but whether he might even move into international football for uh, a tournament or two. Um, who knows? It it was quite it was quite disappointing. It's I, I say that it's one of those games where they're always tight affairs. A lot of the derbies that uh, I went to uh, for that book again, listeners, um, was uh, you know a lot of those were goalless, and it, and it really is the atmosphere inside the stadiums that sort of you you go to experience with these. And I'm sure it was I'm sure it was great. Uh, again, it, it looked like it was it was packed out the Olympico. Um, I know the fans have recently protested over some of the pricing structures because uh, this was Lazio's designated uh, home fixture and their prices are slightly higher uh, than their Roman counterparts and you can find two articles on Total Hyphen Italian Football actually uh, for any of you looking to go and visit the capital and watch a game so we have some articles up on how to buy tickets for a few of the, the Serie A clubs so if you're interested and you're going to get over this season take a look at those um, but yeah it's Roma's dropped out of the European qualification spaces. Lazio are one point behind them. Neither set of fan bases are going to go home sort of crowing over the fact that one's, uh, one sits uh, one point above them because I think they both wanted much better from this season. So um, maybe they'll regroup now after the international break and uh, both sort of kick on to, to challenging for those European places. Roma uh, dropped out of those European places because uh, of the win from Fiorentina uh, against Bologna that uh, Ewan is uh, currently in Florence for. I believe uh, it's for his father's birthday. I think it's just a man and boy uh, having a little trip to Tuscany. Uh, and uh, he looks like he's enjoying himself. Uh, Bonaventura, rolling back the years again, scored the opener. Um, and... They're doing all right this season, Vito. You know, Fiorentina are a side that have frustrated me for years, but um, they, they did all right. Although, in this game, your man Orsolini had a, a goal chalked off, which was, you know, looked like it was a lovely, a lovely finish from that sort of wanderer left foot of his. Yeah, it was a lovely finish from Orsolini, and it was a shame that he was offside in the build-up. So, yeah, it wasn't to be for him, but Fiorentina bouncing back after... Losing to Juventus last week, and to be honest, despite the defensive tactics of Juventus, I think Fiorentina looked very uninspired the week before. This was a good reaction in the uh, Alpenine derby. Um, the proper Italian name is not in my mind at the moment, but a uh, good game. Uh, Fiorentina, you know, got the win. And uh, if we're talking about the Bonaventura goal, it was his fifth for the season, so he continues his good form. And the build-up play was nice. So some nice exchanges of passes there involving Artur. I think Mbala and Zola was the one that got accredited with the assist as well. And then Bonaventura to finish it off. It was a slick move, very typical of Fiorentina and Vincenzo Italiano. So good result. Uh, they stay in that fight for a European spot. Maybe an outside chance for a Champions League place. And I think this is the way that uh, the Viola have to continue on. And just before we came on, uh, came on, came on air, started recording. That's the, probably the, the better phrase. Um, we, we had a little message on our group from uh, from Mr. Burns, 
And uh, I'm just, this is a question to you, uh, Vito. So he messaged and asked if you knew the name Lorenzo Stavini. Uh, you instantly, almost, uh, said, oh yeah, he played for Reggiana, I think, once. Regina. And Regina, okay. Uh, now, he's just served Ewan, wherever he's having his dear, uh, dinner in Florence. But... Did you Google that before you responded? I just need to know. You're, you know, you're this, you're this fountain of knowledge um, yeah. of, of, of all this sort of historic Syria stuff. But um, please tell me you Googled that and not to make me feel more inadequate of my Syria knowledge. <laughs> Look, the Regina one, I was second guessing. And then Bernsey confirmed it in the text. And then... I actually decided to do a Google search for my own self-assurance and then I found out that I actually had heard it of him when he played for Lecce and Catania. So the Regina bit stuck into my mind, but then I found out he also played for Vicenza, Lecce and Catania. And I probably watched him more when he was at Lecce and Catania than what I did when he was playing for Regina. So that was funny. Okay, well, that's excellent knowledge, mate. And... Uh... I'm going to go and do some digging after this because I went to Catania and I saw them play Juventus and Napoli in sort of two consecutive games. And I'm now wondering whether I might have seen him actually play live because that would have been 20... Well, I should remember he was, this. I proposed, he was there I proposed from... to stay... <laughs> <laughs> 2014. 2014 was definitely when I saw them. Um, so I think I saw him in the Google images I searched. It looked like the kit looked familiar. So uh, I'll go looking for that later and uh, and see if I um, w- watched him in the in the flesh. Yeah. Well, it was an so interesting where... anecdote Burns was telling us about. Oh, go on. Because I think I'm yeah, so, that. Okay. Well, actually, uh, Stavini's a Florence native. And uh, these days he's working in hospitality. And Ewan said that he had served him. Apparently, the conversation was a bit intriguing that uh, they oh, actually yeah, changed yeah. up languages. Yeah, I imagine there was a lot of hand gestures as well. You even said there was a mix of Italian, Spanish and English, didn't you? Um, yes. Which, um, I don't know, just how Ewan can appear at times. I imagine that was quite fun to watch as well. So I'm, sure his dad <laughs> in- I'm sure his dad enjoyed it. Um, so let, let's uh, let's get through the other games, just trying to work out where we are going next, I suppose. Uh, clustered amongst Lazio, Bologna, Roma and Fiorentina is uh, Monza, uh, before we go a little bit higher up into the table uh, to Atalanta. So Monza got a 1-1 draw with Torino. Um, they play entertaining football. I'm not sure it's going to be enough to get them European qualification, but uh, a solid result nonetheless because they, they had to come from behind against Torino and it was Colpani again who who uh, let it, netted the late equaliser. Yes, um, Mons in general, they are a lovely team to watch. I enjoy watching them and um, they got a good team. Uh, Personally, I like the fact that they're also built around a lot of Italians as well. So at least, uh, you know, there's some emphasis on the locals there, especially in modern times where the game has become so globalised, it seems that, you know, it's hard to sort of build a team around a lot of uh, players that are born within that country. So that's one thing I like about Monza. About Andrea Andrea Colpani, though, um, well-taken goal after the Di Gregorio goal kick and there was a deflection there in the build-up, but 
Kopani scored his sixth goal for the season from memory, and he's earned a call-up to the Italian national team for the upcoming well, uh, Euro 2024 qualifies against North Macedonia and Ukraine. So I think that was very well-deserved. Well, Italy will need goals, so um, maybe that's where they're going to come from then if Kolpani gets uh, called upon against Ukraine and North Macedonia. Um, there was also some quite good uh, goalkeeping performances in this game, I sort of noticed from the highlights. There was uh, some good saves from uh, Milinkovic-Savic and there was um, you know, Gregorio, who you were saying earlier. Um, a bit, bit, bit of a shame it didn't end up 3-3 really, but um, the goalkeepers won't want to hear that because they, they'll never want to concede but uh, no. it was uh, quite good for goalkeepers this week with your team of the week and probably had two candidates from this game Vito oh uh, yes um, so from yeah this game you know especially Dick Gregorio I've already selected him a few times for the um, team of the week I think he's been one of the best goalkeepers in Serie A this season and I think he's another one that deserves to be looked at for the Italian national team because I think Spalletti has been pretty set with his choices so far, but I think Di Gregorio is someone that should be getting a look at in the future because the quality is there. And also, last season, he kept Alessio Cranio out of the team, who was doing well at Cagliari, so he showed that he's got the ability to play with the ball at his feet and he's a fantastic shot stopper. Yeah, I think I was a little surprised last season that he kept Cranio out of the side, and then the more and more you um, you know you watched him, you realised how how uh, he was there on merit, uh, and actually he provided uh, a lot of confidence for the sort of defence in front of him. So um, yeah, fair play to the lad. Um, so yeah, Atalanta, uh, Udinese, Atalanta, they went behind through a heavily deflected uh, strike from Wallace. Um, there was an awful penalty in this game by Isaac's success. Um, it struck the post at least he didn't blaze it like high over the bar but it was one of the most sort of um, I don't want to use the term lazy but one of the most relaxed penalties I think I've ever seen anybody take Um, but then they uh, they equalised at the end Atalanta through an Edison header so um, a decent point away from home or drop points from Atalanta Uh, I think it was drop points on their part and to be honest I think with that penalty miss, they're probably lucky to get the draw. So uh, I think, um, you know, for Choffi at Tudanese, it's a good start. And yeah, I think with uh, Atalanta, it was just a bit of an off day, which is quite surprising considering some of the hammerings Atalanta gave Udinese in recent years. Okay, uh, on to the one you don't want to talk about. Uh, excellent finished volley from Dragosin that gave Genoa the win against Verona. Um, Genoa are now only uh, five points off of Samp's total for last season. Um, I I'd just get that in. Um, oh, God. Uh, did you see the volley, uh, Vito? What do you think? And what do you think of Genoa sort of uh, not riding high, but riding comfortable uh, this season? Uh, look, for the Griffone, look, it's a valuable win for them. So uh, it keeps them in with a chance of surviving the drop. And without Matteo Rettegi, they need to get all the help they can get to score goals. And then, yeah, um, you know, credit where to due. That was actually an excellent volley from Dragosin. And 
he's now owned by Genoa permanently. He's no longer in the Juventus books. So uh, I think the Rosso Blue actually got themselves a, a decent player. Breaking news, everybody. Vito praises Genoa. Uh, <laughs> come, come back for more shocks next week. Um, so then we've got one more game um, and we go right to the bottom of the table. Um, so I think one of the things that are going to help newly promoted sides like Genoa stay up is the former Salernitana this season. They were 2-0 up. Still the only side without a victory in Serie A this season. And then they draw... To two two with Sassuolo, admittedly away from home, um, so maybe not as bad as going two nil up and then throwing away a two goal lead, but they just cannot buy a win, Vito. No, they can't. And the last win in any competition was against Sampdoria in the Coppa Italia about a week ago. So uh, in Serie A, it hasn't been anywhere as as impressive. Not only that. They needed the experience and quality of Guillermo Ochoa to uh, keep Sassuolo at bay because uh, once they turned the game around, the Nero Verdi probably should have won that game. But Ochoa, even at 38, is still an excellent goalkeeper. And yeah, um, I think he's the difference between them you know, losing in a more embarrassing manner, to be honest. Okay. Well, that completes our roundup of uh, week 12 of the Serie A season. Say, um, go to our site, go to Total Hyphen Italian Football, read what we've been putting up there, go and watch the highlights if you've not seen them. Uh, the big clubs are covered by us there. Uh, if you want to help us, uh, subscribe, like, do all of those things uh, where you listen to our podcast. Uh, and you can also go to Patreon forward slash I believe uh, total open Italian football uh, and subscribe to whatever level of contribution you want to make um, we will expect uh, Connor back after the international break I assume um, but for now it's uh, bye from me and Vito would you like to say goodbye to the listeners goodbye listeners ciao ciao everybody take care
sento lottare è questa squadra che mi fa cantare Empoli un urlo che esplode nel cielo vinci per noi, vinci per noi un urlo che esplode nel cielo questo sogno mi lascerà una stella sul mio petto sull'azzurro risplenderà come grande lo scudetto grida più forte senza violenza con noi Empoli ha come azzurro il tuo colore Empoli ha come amore che sento per te Empoli è la bandiera che porto nel cuore è la mia squadra che sento lottare questa squadra che mi fa cantare Empoli Un urlo che esplode nel cielo Vinci per noi, vinci per noi Un urlo che esplode nel cielo Empoli Ha come azzurro il tuo colore Empoli Ha come amore che sento per te Squadra che sento lottare, è questa squadra che mi fa cantare.